from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Today, what's cool about what I get to do with this podcast, I get to talk to cool people. I get to learn a lot of different things, and I'm a lifelong learner. And today, I get to talk to not only somebody that's super de-duper smart, but also is in my top 10 favorite people on the planet. Top 10 favorite people on the planet, and that is Dr. Heidi Hanna. You know, she <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help myself. That was just too nice. <laughs> she, she is an award-winning author. She's the director of the American Institute of Stress. She owns this company called Synergy. She's written, you know, a metric buttload of books, all, you know, which are really good. You know, I'm just happy to put two sentences together, but she can put more together than that and actually put together a really decent book, um, which she's autographed a couple for me, which is really nice. And she was even so nice as to send a box of books to my mom which to me, my mom was like, well, your friend sent me a box of books. And she was just all elated, but she's 80. Anyway, so welcome, <laughs> Dr. Heidi Hanna to LaughBox. Thanks, Chip. And I'm going to add in there a shout out to your awesome mom, because I had a chance to meet her at our conference uh, last year in Phoenix for AATH. And she was such a sweetheart. And I was excited to share my book because she wanted to share it with a group that she was working with, which I thought was amazing. And to my surprise, I received the most beautiful monkey quilt. And anybody who knows me knows I am obsessed with monkeys and it's sprawled out right in the middle of my living room and we get to enjoy it every day so very very thoughtful obviously uh, you got your kindness from your mother it well, does I, show up every now and then so I, would like, <laughs> I know it's there <laughs> I'd like to say that that's true but I'm actually adopted so um, oh that makes more sense <laughs> just kidding I'm not she is a sweet woman, <laughs> she is a sweet woman. so I'm like I said. I'm really happy to talk. I mean, I get to talk to you uh, kind of all the time anyway. But it's even yeah. more yeah, more cooler today because we get to talk about you know what you do and you know how you know humor plays a factor in that. So if you could share with our listeners just a little about um, who is this person, Heidi Hanna? Oh gosh, how long do we have? Um, we'll have to come back like on a on a monthly basis, then I can give you a check in as to what I'm discovering. But you know, that in itself is one of the things I love so much about this organization and about the work I get to do. So uh, I consider myself to be an integrative neuroscientist, and that's just like really fancy way for I study everything having to do with the brain and behavior. Um, I have a master's degree in mental health counseling. I have a PhD in holistic nutrition. And for the past 10 years or so, I've been doing research on integrative neuroscience, looking at how all these different factors play a role into how we perceive the world around us and primarily interested in mental health and stress management, um, preventing Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, all sorts of really fun, cool stuff. And so I guess it's been about five years ago now. Um, many people I'm sure who, who've ever had a chance to meet me or hear me speak know that I've been struggling pretty much my whole life with different bouts of anxiety and depression. And I happened to be going through one of those times and I was feeling really lost in, in my condo here in San Diego, very isolated. I was out speaking around the world and meeting thousands of people, but just did not feel at all connected. And something in my soul just 
reminded me that I needed to laugh. And so as any good neuroscientist would, I got online and started doing research. And I found out that there was this group of people who studied applied and therapeutic humor. And they happened to be having a conference in a few months, like a block from my condo. So I looked into it more. I started reading all of these books. I submitted a proposal to speak, which I actually ended up getting rejected and then um, accepted at the same time. Not really sure how that happened. It was like, well, you weren't supposed to get a rejection letter. That was the wrong letter. So I don't know that joke was on me, I guess. But anyway, you were one of the first people I met along with Karen Buxman, Mary Kay Morrison, Jill Knox, just a really awesome group of individuals. And uh, through all the laughter and play, I, I really met some genuinely loving, supportive people who've become like my family. And so through that process of getting plugged in with AATH, I also quickly decided to sign up for Humor Academy. I'm actually going to be a certified humor professional as of April of this year. And I've been doing different projects looking at the impact of humor on the brain. So we've done a humor marathon that was raising money for the Alzheimer's Association. In fact, I created my own nonprofit called Beyond Funny, where we provide educational resources related to humor and the brain. And coming up actually in the next few weeks, I'm even going to be launching a program for high school students to teach them about the benefits of humor for stress reduction. So it's it's been interesting how quickly, I mean, I just kind of thought, you know, five years ago, I thought, I'm not laughing enough. And somehow that translated into this whole new aspect of my speaking. And every time I speak, whether it's on stress management, brain health, peak performance, you name it, I get a chance to plug the benefits of healthy humor. And it sticks with people. And I just love it. Well, in your research, I mean, what are some of the things you found on the neuroscience of, of humor? Yeah, because me, you know, I know it makes me feel good, but I, I don't have any idea what's going on in my brain, but that's the case most of the time anyway. That's true, and that keeps things exciting, and it keeps us curious. So I talk a lot in my sessions about my three favorite stress hacks, or like mindset hacks to manage stress, and essentially they do similar things in the brain. But humor is the one that's kind of the most complex in a good way. So if I were to kind of lead into that, I would say the very first most simple stress hack is gratitude. So we know when we can experience gratitude and we feel thankful or appreciate somebody or something, that it actually reduces the activation in the stress center of the brain and it starts to bring kind of the prefrontal cortex online and that's what's called the human brain. So the monkey brain starts to quiet down a little bit and the human brain starts to be more like rational and logical and um, hopefully creative and innovative and logical. I think mm -hmm. I said logical. Um, but also collaborative <laughs> with other people. I mean, there's a chemical shift that happens. And so I remind people sometimes that when we're experiencing stress and we feel like we're in our monkey mind, you know, there's really actually something going on with those neural pathways that are, it's like the part of our brain that's reactive is so overfueled that it's pulling all of the resources to or from the areas that we need to be more kind and more patient. And so um, to not beat ourselves up about that next, that's another place where humor plays in really well. So gratitude is kind of one of the quickest shifts that we can make and it starts to take the edge off a little bit. The second one um, that I'm actually working on a book now about is curiosity. So I'm writing a book called The Curiosity Effect and it turns out that when we ask ourselves or other people the right types of questions, 
the brain again starts to reduce activity in the monkey brain and starts to calm us down, decrease the limbic system or the amygdala, if people have heard of those parts of the brain that are really kind of central on the midsection of the brain. And then because we're curious, it also triggers the motivation pathway. So we're, we're interested, and this is especially important, Chip, pay attention to this, because people with ADD or ADD symptoms, like not it. saying that would be you, but I think you, I just was sensing that maybe you were off thinking about what you had to do later, because um, I was talking for a long period of time, but curiosity, so it's calming down the monkey brain, and now it's really activating the prefrontal cortex because you're interested. So if you're curious about something, it drives the reward pathways in the part of the brain that we really want to fuel, deactivates the ones we don't. And so we're kind of like, now we're getting deeper, we're getting more intricate in the chemical cascade that's happening in the brain, but now the really exciting part is you add humor to that, and it's like you've just taken it to a whole nother level. Now you're activating um, the brainstem, which is the base of the brain, which connects to our body and our feelings, so especially if you experience laughter. Now it's like this whole brain-body process. But I think it's important, and the AATH members, I'm sure, already know this, but maybe for some of the people who aren't as familiar with humor, the humor's not just laughter. So you don't have to laugh to find something funny. In fact, the emotional experience or the cognitive experience of just finding something funny will activate the same beautiful brain um, fireworks in some ways. I like to think of humor as like a massage for my brain because it just brings all of the different areas of the brain back online that we need, especially for things like creativity and innovation. So uh, explain this whole monkey brain thing to me because, you know, I'm thinking I got, um, I mean, I know I have monkeys in my brain. I got, you know, a worry monkey. I got, you know, a stress monkey. I, got some, yeah. I, have some, I have some monkeys that are just flinging poo on other monkeys. I mean, that's just what's happening. But, you know, yeah. So, what is this whole monkey monkey brain? Well, okay, so you, I think you did that to do me a favor because you know how much I love monkeys. So a quick side note, I actually had a monkey when I was born, and um, my mom received it as a wedding gift, and his name was Skipper. And he's a <laughs> who, gives, who gives a monkey as a wedding gift? That is the craziest well, thing I I've ever heard. Actually, yeah, I know, but I think what's, what's crazier is, is if you know my dad, I think he actually might have requested it. So, And if that tells you anything and the genetic similarities between my dad and myself, so whole another topic but I think it kind of helps people understand like I just I've always had this love for monkeys and I believe that when you look at some of the playfulness of the monkey it is something that we can actually kind of strive for like in some ways I want to be more playful I want to be more fun I want to be more childlike I want to be more curious for me personally those are the parts of my personality that now over the last six months I've been really trying to nurture and in some ways I would say it probably saved my life, um, which is the curiosity effect and what that book is about. But the monkey mind, when we think about that, it actually comes from some really old traditional uh, religious kind of philosophies. It's a, a Buddhist philosophy around kind of the monkey mind as being that really reactive, distractible, noisy um, part of the brain. And it's essentially that that limbic system, the amygdala, our fight-flight response, it's very emotional. And so in some ways we can be, well, I'm in my monkey mind because I'm jumping all over the place. And we try to often control that with the human part of our brain by being rational. Mm -hmm. But it turns out the best way to quiet the monkey or tame the monkey is to get in the body and do some relaxation practices like breathing, 
or massage or physical exercise. It turns out that those kind of what we'd say top up processes where it goes from the heart and the body up through the vagus nerve to the brain to calm it down, that's actually how we quiet the monkey mind. And so so many of us just get frustrated and you know it's like I can't I can't outthink the monkey. And you don't want to outthink the monkey. You actually want to just quiet it down, give it a little pet, which I kind of worry about where we could go on that note. But, you know, even <laughs> things like massage, physical activity, sitting in a hot tub, doing something that just physically feels good. And that's also where laughter, you know, we know that people can actually benefit from laughter, even if they don't find something funny. So things like laughter yoga can be really excellent for kind of just quieting down the mind enough for the human part of the brain to do what it wants to do. And sometimes you know what, it's totally cool to just hang out in that monkey brain space and just play and have fun and not worry so much. Well, that's a great definition of the whole, I have like now visions of monkeys in my head. <laughs> so I like that. You know, going back to your, your brain hacks, I mean, the, the gratitude and, you know, uh, the humor um, hack and, you know, are these, in a way, do they, uh, these hacks, are they like an, uh, a portion of like mindfulness of like you know not being in tomorrow but being like in the moment now is that why it works that is such a great question wow you just really impressed me with that connection um <laughs> and you had a ways to go so feel free to keep pulling stuff like that out of our conversation it suits you um yeah totally and in fact it took me a while to get to the point that i made that connection but just even within the last few days as I've been working on the curiosity effect, I realized that that's exactly what most of this is, is it's an awareness. In fact, I use kind of this three-step process to, um, cure. I think it cures stress, but that's because I believe stress is just an energy we feel when demand is greater than capacity. So it's like what we think about as stress it's not really a bad thing. It's just a pressure or a tension or an energy, and we define it based on our circumstances, which again could be a whole nother call um, and something we'll be talking about a lot, in fact, in the, the Global Stress Summit that we're going to be putting on at the end of April. So sidebar there. Um, but the three-step process I look at is um, awareness or assessment, and those are kind of two different things. So I'll come back to that. Appreciation and then adjustment. Mm-hmm. And so if we're experiencing something, let's say we feel stress, which by the way, is not really anything other than a stimulus for change. So when we feel that tension or pressure, the first thing we have to do is obviously notice it. We have to have awareness. But then I go a step further and say, we got to kind of assess it and figure out what it is. Like, are we stressed because we don't have enough time? We don't have enough resources. We're tired. We haven't eaten in a while. We've been sitting too long. Like that sensation can happen from all sorts of things. It could be non-conscious cues or what I call secondhand stress that other people are dumping on us. It's not even related to anything we're dealing with. And yet we just throw all this crap into our stress bucket throughout the day. We carry it around. And we feel overwhelmed because we don't really know what it is, so we can't solve it. So getting back to the mindfulness question, mindfulness practices are really just that. It's, it's present moment awareness and then non-judgmental acceptance. So mm-hmm. you become aware of what it is and you just notice it. And that's a great first start. The next two things for me are 
appreciate it. And I think that most mindfulness practices have this kind of built in, that there's some sort of usually self-compassion or, um, you know, just kind of, I see it and I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm just going to let it go. But I would even go a step further and say, appreciate why it's there. You know, if we feel stressed, that's our body's way of telling us something's off track. So I'm glad when that happens. If we feel like there's a challenge or there's an opportunity in front of us to appreciate, gosh, I'm feeling anxious right now because I'm getting ready to go up and speak in front of a thousand people and that's terrifying, but what a great opportunity. So I'm going to notice it and then I'm going to appreciate it. And by appreciating it now, we start to tone down that monkey mind and from getting out of control. And then the next step that I would take is adjustment that, if we want to think differently or if we want to do differently, then we just make a small shift or a small nudge. And that's where some of those stress hacks can come in as well. So if I notice I'm feeling anxious and that sensation is just because it's an opportunity, I feel grateful for the opportunity. And then I'm going to focus on that feeling of gratitude to adjust my current state into one that's more positive or many times. And that's where humor is just so beautiful is we can go find something funny. The more we find things funny, the more naturally we will just notice things that are funny. We can have a humor buddy. Karen Buxman is an amazing humor buddy. She sends me an, a funny image or video almost every single day. Um, and I appreciate that more than I think she even realizes because it just forces me to stop. And, and fortunately, you know, when you have a humor buddy and you do this enough, you get to kind of know, I mean, we have a similar sense of humor, so I'm not sure I would post our humor out for the world to see, but, um, you know, there's other things that I share on the Beyond Funny website or Beyond Funny Facebook page. And when I'm really struggling, my friends know, like, I'll go on Facebook and just say, hey, does anyone have something funny today? And that's kind of my way of saying, mm -hmm. eh, I'm struggling. Like maybe I'm down or maybe I'm tense or, you know, I don't even feel like I need to go on Facebook and tell everybody that, you know, I'm tired. But if I say, hey, I'm looking for something funny, that gives me that boost. It gives me that shift. And it also gives other people a chance to, you know, provide that support in a really easy way. And it's not to ignore things that are wrong. It just gives us a better pers perspective. Yeah, you know, in that three-pronged approach, I would think that the whole gratitude piece, the second step, I mean, I, I can I can notice, you know, what's going on and, and, and figure that out, but then making that next step into appreciating it and making that mind switch, you know, would sometimes feel a little bit difficult or yeah. forced because, you know, yeah. especially depending on the situation, you know, like myself also being a speaker, you know, regardless mm -hmm. of what crowd, you always, you know, are wondering ahead of time, you know, am I going to connect with them? You got all the stuff going on in your head. And then, you know, at the end of an hour, it's, or whatever, it's, it is what it is. It's done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in things that might be a little more emotional, that shift, especially with people might be a little more difficult. I mean, so does it make a difference yeah. if it's forced? Does that make a difference in that three-prong approach? Mm -hmm. You just got more cool points, by the way, so we should do this more often um, because that's such an amazing and insightful question, and, and I would not want to gloss over this because this is really important, and I do a lot of work with PTSD and trauma and early childhood trauma, and we can use the same approach. So if you're looking at something like that, now we're like getting real for a second and saying, okay, I don't appreciate the fact that, you know, I'm a child and I had a parent die or there's substance abuse in the family or whatever's going on, you know, mm -hmm. gosh, the, the military seeing the things that they see and coming, but they're not going to appreciate that. 
So what I'm suggesting is that that stage of appreciation is in some ways appreciation for the fact that our body is speaking to us, that we have a stress response, that it's calling our attention to something. And this is where I think curiosity really can be helpful mm -hmm. is any time I've gone through something that would be more dramatic that I would say, hey, I'm not appreciating this. I mean, I went through essentially last year a six-month panic attack. I've experienced panic attacks my whole life, but this one would not shut off. And I was hospitalized. I mean, it was just crazy town. And I did not appreciate that at all. Um, but even as I was going through it, I remember spending time to sit and think, there is a lesson in this, and I don't know what it is yet. But if I lose sight of the fact that there is going to be a lesson in this and there's going to be some sort of growth or some sort of opportunity at the end of this, I'm not going to get through. And I think that it's that little nudge of um, what can we appreciate? Not force like, oh, this is awesome. But <laughs> yeah. is there a way for us to get to a place of just, I'm going to just take a step back for a moment and appreciate the fact that change is happening, that I'm being challenged, that I can look back in my life and know that the times I grew the most and I'm the most proud of myself are when I overcame obstacles. And life's about obstacles, right? So I'm not, and you know this about me, I'm not a, you know, half full kind of gal, like I'm not rose-colored glasses, although I do wear rose-colored glasses and it turns out that studies show if you wear rose-colored glasses, it improves your mood. So there's a little nudge for you, a stress hack. You just made but, that up. You just made that up. That's no, I didn't. I swear. I no, swear. That's, it's that's, so that's, true. That is completely It's totally true. I'll send you the link. Yeah, it, it is true. I know. That's great. And, and once she sends um, the link, I will put it in the show notes just so... <laughs> That way. Either that or everyone can just say that I'm a liar. But, you know, there's these little nudges that we do. And I do think it's important to realize that there's going to be times that that step is going to be really hard. I think that's where social support is important. That's why, you know, when you're really struggling, it is absolutely critical to have someone you can talk to who can help you just sit in that space. And if nothing else, appreciate that your life, you know, appreciate the elements that you do have, appreciate that you have that support and someone can sit with you and help you. And that's, that's kind of what I do again, not to minimize it, but if I'm speaking with someone that's really experiencing some trauma is to, to appreciate even the experience as being traumatic and appreciate the feelings that you have and validate that. And I really do believe that in some ways that's where the magic happens. A lot of people don't even realize that when we experience extreme stress, which could be extreme in the moment, or it could be extreme meaning over a long period of time, mm -hmm. that that actually changes brain chemistry and it changes the neural pathways. And so that's almost like if you can go back to that awareness and assessment piece, if you can understand that and that some of your challenges are based on those experiences, your brain has actually adapted. I love this. My, my good friend, Bart Billings, who's just a rock star, um, clinical psychologist, marriage and family therapist, uh, longtime military service provider, um, said that post-traumatic stress is a normal response to an abnormal situation. And I think that sometimes just appreciating that, like these monkeys that are jumping around in my head or this depression that I'm feeling or this anxiety that I'm feeling or whatever it might be, um, when we can understand that our body or our brain has adapted to circumstances well, it's like, okay, now I see why I understand now why I'm so sensitive. And now that I understand that I can appreciate that about myself and then I can adjust it. And here's the key. I think chip is that if we move too quickly from awareness to adjustment, 
it's almost like we don't have the nutrients we need to build that change. It's like we're shorting ourselves. It's like that that line from, okay, I get this, like, let's say sensitivity, which is a huge issue for people who've experienced a lot of stress. Let's say, okay, I'm highly sensitive and now I'm going to fix it. Well, that's all like self-blame. You know, there's no real, it's like that's more of a stress state to try to fix something that we don't appreciate. But if we can just go, okay, I'm experiencing the sensitivity. I appreciate the fact that my experiences earlier in life have created this sensitivity that's designed to protect me. But right now I just don't want to have so much sensitivity. So I'm going to adjust that a little bit by taking these steps, these actions. Um, then we, it's almost like we've added some glue, you know, super glue to those neural pathways so that they can actually work better. And when I say glue, I mean like dopamine and serotonin and, you know, all these good neurochemicals that help us to create new mental habits. Now, when you said that, you know, when you're stressed for a prolonged period of time, it changes the way your neural pathways are go. I'm not, a, anyway, I'm yeah. <laughs> okay. So well done, my friend. Well that, done. I just want to make sure I was, I just, but with that, so does it change it in a, in like an irreversible bad way or is it just, it's just a change. Just, it's a change and you just don't even realize it changed, you know, or if it is bad, is there a way to re reverse that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that happen and the easiest way to think about this is think about muscles in our body, right? A lot of people will, will understand this concept that the brain's like a muscle, but I think what we need to do is actually imagine it's a series of muscles because there's a lot of different skills and capacities that the brain has. And so if we look at two of the primary ones that are affected with chronic stress, that amygdala, which is your stress response, the fight or flight response, because it's getting worked out so much when we're in stressful situations, that um, what I would call like cortical real estate, like, like the actual amount of neurons, the amount of brain cells starts to grow in that area. So you'll see that part of the brain actually grow larger in size, which also means it's a stronger capacity, which is going to give us that heightened sensitivity to potential threats in our environment. Mm -hmm. And that's designed to protect us. So it's like, yeah, good for you. You've been training your stress muscles so much that it's really strong. Well, the only way it can do that, because you don't just grow new brain cells, you actually take over cells from other capacities. So as you're growing your stress muscle, you're atrophying your ability to calm yourself down. And essentially, that's what's happened. So the good news is that you can start to reverse that. That's why neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to adapt is so powerful. It means that on one hand, you kind of grew this imbalance of the, the muscles in your brain. But on the other hand, if you pay attention, you can start to rewire that. Um, and so though that's where, again, we're looking, and I'm using my hands as if you could see me kind of illustrating this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where those stress hacks or those uh, mindset adjustments that you're making over time start to build back into balance. So you start to deactivate the stress response and you start to reactivate those relaxation pathways through these different techniques. That is wild. Uh, so when, what's funny, I'm, has nothing to do, but when you said the, the good news is, then I started thinking, this is my, my humor monkey in my brain. It's like, have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? Your brain is plastic. <laughs> Sounds like an infomercial. We should exactly. do that. The good news of the day is that your brain is plastic. 
Is... It's this good news, bad news. Like you are radically adaptable, right? And so I think once we understand that, I'll tell you something really interesting. Most because I know who's going to be listening to this, and I love these people. Most of us have big hearts. And most of us have had our hearts broken by life at some point, which is why we care so much, which is why we want to serve other people. This also happens to be the case for entrepreneurs and most successful people. Most successful people have experienced some sort of early childhood trauma. And by the way, when I say trauma, I'm not talking about like you have to be hit or abused or, I mean, it doesn't have to be that serious. It could just be a lack of attachment with one parent it could be bullying i mean these could be kind could of been, minimal I, things that change the way that the brain works or it could have been like my trauma i had four older brothers and they used to say hey chip come here let me tell you a secret and they'd spit in my ear that could do it you're going to be more sensitive to the world around you and we're glad you are chip because you are just such a sweetie <laughs> whatever you're just saying that for the recording we know we know the truth <laughs> that is amazing you know you're just thinking about the whole fact you know and i like that well i like everything you said but i like the fact that nothing it's is set it's you know whatever damage you do is you know it can be reversed or you know you can change it you know that it's not all bad either that like you said it's you know fight or flight that you know, Anyway, I'm just rambling on about the cool so, stuff. So let me add something to that. Yeah. As you're saying this, I want, I want to add a couple things that are really important. One of them is there's more and more research being done on the importance of social connection. And I mentioned that, and I think everybody gets it, but this is massive. This is now telling us that people, so when you experience chronic stress, you produce this chemical cortisol. Cortisol turns out kills brain cells. And so we want to minimize how much of that we get, but it's not bad. We need it. We just can't have too much of it. That's why we have to experience stress followed by re recovery and recharge and that whole cycle. Mm -hmm. um, but the fascinating thing is that when we experience stress and we do get that cortisol production and we have social support or social bonding that creates oxytocin, which is like, the, like you were, every, everyone's going to be snorting oxytocin probably in the next five years because oxytocin, which actually can be used nasally, which is lots of fun, um, will actually create there's this beautiful dance between those two chemicals where it's like this one thing that was negative now actually becomes more positive because when we experience stress together it's like this super bonding activity stress is really only bad when we're alone when we feel alone when we perceive alone like that's when it's really toxic but you know, you could think in, in military professionals, I mean, what a great example. I mean, it's not that we want more of those situations, but mm -hmm. these people go over and they serve together and they're bonded for life. And one of the biggest challenges is they come back and the real world isn't so tribal. Like we're not so nice to each other. We're not so supportive. And so I say that because that's why groups like AATH and other groups I've been involved with, I think are so critical is because we do live in a stressful world. And when mm -hmm. we believe that we have people who have our back, you know, that's just adding yet another nourishing chemical that can help not only facilitate healthy cell development, but it will actually trigger the growth of new brain cells. And so not only neuroplasticity, meaning that your brain can recorrect itself, but you can actually generate new brain cells. And some of the best ways to do that are going to be 
things like physical exercise, aerobic exercise in particular, learning, curiosity, mm -hmm. mindfulness, and I would say humor and play, although I don't think a lot of research has been done on that, but you can just kind of make the correlation of the other things and say, well, that would just make sense because you're kind of triggering a lot of these same pathways. So well, even people who've had damage, and that was my point, it's like you think of chronic stress as wearing down the brain, but even people who have had damage to their brain, like a traumatic brain injury mm -hmm. or a stroke or something like that, they may not ever get those cells back that were killed off in the trauma, but they can actually generate new cell growth. That's interesting. You know, and I like the, you brought a, the whole social aspect in that, you know, we are social you know, creatures. And a lot of times, like when I'm stressed, I will completely isolate myself. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, will, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to kind of like stew in my own mire of um, brain chemicals since you, so you mentioned all those. Yeah. But I think yeah. what was interesting is that, you know, from what you just had said, I mean, it kind of goes back to something we've known forever and that old proverb of, you know, a joy shared is twice a joy and a sorrow shared is half, half a sorrow. That it's, um, in a way, inherently, we've always kind of known this, but now we're actually getting the research to actually show that, yeah, you, you need to, it's going to be less impactful if you are sharing your sorrow, sharing your stress with other people. That's what I heard you say. Absolutely. And okay. the other piece I want to add to that, though, is that connection doesn't have to be volume. So I'm with you. Like when I get really stressed, I'm the same. I just want everyone to leave me alone and I just want to like, you know, whatever. Um, typically I'm, I'm better now. At least I'll watch some, um, you know, humor or comedy or try to do something that's uplifting. Um, but I, I have a tendency to isolate. The key though here is it's your perception of connection. So it could be one person. You have your one humor buddy or you have your spouse or you have your best friend or even a stranger. You have a counselor, you have a therapist, you have a doctor, whoever it is, but you need somebody that has your back that you feel like you can authentically be yourself and not have to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. I think part of the challenge, especially for people like us, is because we're out there and we're speaking and you know we're trying to help people encourage people is that sometimes we're just tired of doing that so we just need downtime so you know like you can't be I, I remind myself sometimes seriously I'm like even the happy people are sad sometimes like right. it's okay to not be on and it's okay to be I mean you can also be alone without feeling lonely so just to understand that it's it's really your perception of connection that's most important and to just not let yourself wallow for too long you know it's kind of interesting. You think about the whole social connection piece and that you said that just the feeling of connection is the thing that, you know, that, that can help. And, you know, can that feeling then if you don't really have any friends be via, you know, like social media, if you feel that connection, mm -hmm. even though it's not super real, you know, with that person on Facebook or that person on Twitter, you know, is that as good as having a real friend? Well, I want to be careful for all the people who don't have real friends out there, not to make them feel bad, but you do want to shoot for some real life connection. And there's just something, and I feel very strongly about this, there's just something about the energy that's shared between two people. Mm -hmm. You just sense someone's heart, you know, it's like, it's great to talk with you, but when you're in San Diego, it's way cooler to, to hang, even if it's for like 10 minutes. There's just mm -hmm. a connection that you get in someone's space when you're sharing energy with somebody. So that's always going to be the best option. Mm -hmm. 
social media is great in that I think it allows us, especially in today's world, being so busy to be able to check in and, and maintain some relationships. I mean, I've stayed friends with people and, and redeveloped friendships and probably even started friendships on social media that I'm really grateful for. Here's the, the piece though, that I want to warn everybody about is that um, social media and really any way that we're connecting through technology is also highly addictive. And so we can find ourselves kind of turning there to kill time or we're just kind of as a distraction. We also use it a lot for validation. And so we just, mm -hmm. we need to be careful. Studies are really clear actually that the more people, the more time people spend on social media, the higher their rates of depression and anxiety, especially with kids. And a lot of that is we're comparing ourselves. A lot of it is, you know, we see everybody's perfect day. And I remember times, no joke. I mean, just to put this in perspective where I was like on a book tour for, you know, a best-selling book and I'd go on social media and all I saw was my friends having these like awesome babies and getting married. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm totally failing. Right. And then some of those people are telling me like, oh my gosh, you're doing all this amazing stuff and I'm stuck at home popping out babies. So we just have to be careful with that <laughs> and realize awful. that that noise filters in to, right. you know, our brain is absorbing a lot of the content. We don't realize a friend of mine did some research that showed that just three minutes of negative news in the morning, leads to a 27% increase in your rating your day as bad. Really? So stuff that's happening that, that we don't even necessarily know is being absorbed by the brain is being picked up and it changes our mood. It changes the lens through which we see the world. So my suggestion then with social media is be intentional, like go there, be there, do what you're going to do, check in with a few people and get out and set an alarm if you need to, because that's just a rabbit hole that sometimes we can find ourselves wandering down. And then also when you have some downtime, like you're going to want to always be on your phone or always be doing something. If you mm -hmm. can catch that monkey, that busy monkey and just say like, Oh, what a cute monkey shut up for five minutes and just be still. Mm -hmm. That would be really helpful. Like I actually think our whole world would tone down and calm down a notch. And, uh, it could be really impactful if we just started spending a little bit more time being still and realizing that being bored or not having something to do wasn't the worst thing in the world. Right. It's not always easy to be still. I, I, I have issues with being still because I always, there's always something I can be doing. You know, I can no, always. Oh, that shocked me. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's what he is. well, here's the thing though, on that note, I mean, my book, Stressaholic was all about this, right? So you, there's always, here's the thing. There's always more you could be doing. And I, that pace, that rushing, that constant need to be producing all the time will kill you because when you're doing that that's that subtle little nudge to that amygdala monkey brain that there's never enough time to get it all done and mm -hmm. if that's your frame of reference that you're working on your inflammation's higher your immune system's shot you're killing brain cells like i could go on and on and on with the wear and tear it's like you've just jacked up the wear and tear of your system you're speeding up the aging process like and yet that's just how we're all operating right now so it's mm -hmm. hard but i would say you know you've got to dig up some discipline or some practice or some habit to say, yeah, this is hard and I'm going to do it anyway. It's hard for me to not check my Facebook when I'm standing in line at the post office, but I'm going to do it just on principle because if I don't start training my brain to not be doing all the time, I'm going to continue to grow the size of that busy monkey.
Mm. And there's consequences for that, for sure. Well, we don't want those consequences, that's for sure. Actually, <laughs> I actually make a conscious decision not to do anything, uh, any work on planes. So I have a lot of friends that they do that's a lot. That's when I do my best work. Exactly. Yeah. See, a lot of people do a lot of work on planes, not me. I will download whatever I'm going to watch from Netflix, and I just like zone out. I catch up on the, you know, podcast that I've been missing, or yeah. you know, I just, I, I plan absolutely nothing on planes. It's just kind of, I'm just going to enjoy it. If there's somebody interesting to talk to, I'm going to talk to them. But normally, I just have my earphones in and I'm just like shut off to the world. So interesting, very interesting. Now let's shift just, you know, I, I want to get back to in just a minute as far as like, you know, play and humor is a piece of mindfulness, but I know that you've got the uh, global uh, stress uh, summit coming up. Um, this will air after that goes on, but you know, tell us a little bit about that whole big ball of um, stressful stress information. <laughs> So, yeah, and depending, you know, whenever people get a chance to listen to this, we're going to have some resources from the summit for sure. It's going to be broadcasting for free April 24th through May 1st, um, which happens to be the same exact time as our AATH conference, with, which I'm co-chairing. So I'd love to challenge myself um, to see if I'm really resilient, and I'll be experiencing that while we're there in Orlando, but we'll have a great time nonetheless. So, um People will be able to go even after the fact to see some of the information at globalstresssummit.com and on my website at HeidiHanna.com. Um, we're actually going to be turning some of the content into some shorter courses. But essentially what it is is seven days of sessions. There's five sessions per day. Each one is a different theme. So we look at the biology of stress. We look at the brain and mindset, the body and lifestyle. We're talking about workplace stress, uh, relationships, parenting. Um, we talk about special populations, things like ADD, depression. And on the last day, we're talking, talking about practical tools to tame stress. And one of those sessions happens to be just on humor with Karen Buxman. Um, we also have Judy Carter who's doing a session on making your mess your message. Some of us have heard her speak on that before, which is great, which is essentially, you know, the stories we tell ourselves about our experiences. So the thing I would say about the Stress Summit is that it came from a place last year when I was going through my toughest time. And I, you know, as I mentioned, it just was this like full-blown, never-ending panic attack, and I genuinely just did not know what I was going to do with myself. And um, so the, the piece, and interestingly enough, it came out of an AATH board meeting that I was at last year where we did a strengths assessment. We had an amazing facilitator, Candace Fitzpatrick, who took us through the core clarity way of understanding these strengths. And I think maybe I was just broken enough to figure out that I was living a life completely opposite of how I'm wired and mm -hmm. where I actually like to be, that space where I feel like I'm thriving. And so I think I was desperate enough to kind of say, all right, this is not working. I'm actually going to get rid of my fears about finances, which was totally hijacking me. Like I was ready to sell everything I own and go, I don't know, gypsy. Um, I was like, I'm not even going to worry about that. The most important thing to me right now is that I'm doing something that I'm passionate and excited about. Right. And I really honestly am just so fascinated by this stress concept because every time I would ask a stress expert to define it, they would like bumble over their words. Well, it's blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, if we don't even know what it is, how are we going to help anybody with this? And right. 
So through those conversations, I was like, okay, I want like a PhD in stress, uh, you know, not from my life, but like from learning from other people. Mm -hmm. And what would I put together if I had all of the people that I really respect and admire that are in the, you know, doing the research. And so I started reaching out to some of these people, honestly thinking like they would not even read my email. And I'm shocked. Like they're, most of them are my friends now. We had great conversations. We're pulling together people to help us build the American Institute of Stress. So we've added probably 20 or 30 new fellows who are involved. One of them, one of the speakers is actually Dr. Herbert Benson, who um, was one of the founding members along with Hans Selye and Bob Hope, which like is so random. Bob Hope was one of the founding members of the American Institute of Stress. So cool. Interesting. Um, yeah, I got to dig into that a little bit more, but essentially in the 70s, you know, this group got together and said, we need a clearinghouse for information. Media is really taking this whole stress notion seriously, and it's kind of exploding, but there's not really any clear way to kind of define, measure, and manage. And so we're kind of coming back around now after going through some transition and kind of rebranding, relaunching the American Institute of Stress through this summit and through some other educational opportunities. And in fact, on that note, um, next year when we have the AATH conference in my backyard, which I happen to be chairing, which is a whole nother funny story, um, we're also going to be offering a, a couple of certification programs for people who want to be certified stress coaches, uh, stress specialists or speakers in our speakers bureau. So that's going to be really fun. So Man, I love seeing, I yeah, I love, <laughs> well, you're, you're like top of the list, of course, but I love seeing my two favorite things come together. And that is what I decided when I went through that strengths assessment was my favorite things are curiosity and collaboration. And so I just keep staying curious to what life is showing me and where it's leading and what I can learn. And then with each of these people, just like you, you know, interviewing people, it's like, how can I serve? How can I support other people? And what's so beautiful is when it becomes this just like organic synergy, you know, the name of my company is Synergy because I really believe that we're better together. So mm -hmm. when one and one equals three, it's just, it's awesome. So to see AATH now having some partnership opportunities with AIS is going to be a lot of fun. Wow, that sounds pretty awesome. I, I'm excited. I didn't know you were going to have that, kind of like a double up on the conference next year. So I'll have to make sure. Well, <laughs> Any, yeah. Any. And, you know, the only thing we really need is someone who can help me with the programming um, and speaker selection. But I already told you I would. Anyway. <laughs> Did you all hear that? That's recorded. I just want it recorded and sober. I just want to I will, say that for the I will be completely At least editing. I am. I will be completely editing that piece out. So, <laughs> oh, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you today. You know, one, cause we know we, we talk in person, we don't talk about stuff like this. We just talk about other things and it's always yeah. fun for me cause we have always a, a good banter back and forth, but you know, look at thinking about, you know, the people that'll be listening thinking about the things you said, you know, the brain hacks and tethering it with, you know, humor, obviously, because this is a humor association. Do you have some special you know, humor hacks that you like to have people, you know, do to be, I don't know, say, like, be more humor mindful? Yeah, you know, I can't take credit for them. I feel like really everything I've learned has been experiential with, you know, Karen Buxman in particular, for sure, is my humor buddy. Um, but also, you know, Mary Kay and Jill and so many people we have in this organization that just, they just do it. 
you know, they don't even have to say it, they just do it. Mm -hmm. um, there's such incredible, simple, practical tools, and I talk about it in my um, lectures as building your mirth muscle, which is your, your ability, your mindset to actually see the world as funny. And so um, all of the non-conscious cues that you can add to your workday or to your environment are going to be helpful. The things I would say would be um, images or objects. So I have my little Melvin the monkey sitting right here in front of me, and when you squeeze him, his heart pops out. And people who've been to our conferences probably have at least one because they tend to give these away. Um, but I have this in my view as I'm working. I put it up on the podium when I'm speaking. It's just a cue that reminds me to have more fun, be more playful, and to see the opportunity to experience humor. Mm -hmm. um, other things, as I mentioned before, is having a person that you share things with and having you know, a daily routine to send them a funny image or a funny video, um, being involved with a community like AATH, our Facebook group, or the Beyond Funny Facebook group where people are posting and sharing things that's helpful. One of the things I love that Mary Kay does is she always adds these funny images to her emails. And, you know, it's like that little extra nudge. It doesn't take a ton of time, but it does make the brain sticky. So people want to be remembered more, you know, think through ways that you can add a little dose of humor to your communications, whether it's email or your voicemail. Again, Karen's got a million different resources on that in the talks that she does. And I know she's creating an online course as well. And then I know another one she, I heard her talk about that I was like, you know, that's just it's so simple, but we need the reminders is to build a humor break into your day. So just like, you know, any other habit that you want to establish, be intentional about it for a while. So, you know, decide every day at one o'clock, I'm going to have a humor break and put it in your calendar. And the key with that, of course, is because we can all hit snooze over and over is like, you've got to believe it's going to be helpful. So when it, when that alarm goes off and reminds you, you need to actually do something. And so I, I encourage people to have what I call my Beyond Funny folder. And in my folder, I've got images, I've got videos, I've got links, I've got, you know, whatever I need so that when that alarm goes off, I'm not now going down a rabbit hole looking for something because God knows, you know, an hour later, we haven't even found anything funny yet. Right. If you have those links and those resources handy, then you can just click on them and, you know, have that experience. And I guess one other one would be, you know, listening to comedy, you know, finding some YouTube channels or podcasts or something that you find funny that you can just do on a regular basis. I used to do every morning. I would watch um, the daily show in the morning. And unfortunately I've, I've been grieving a little bit still. I haven't found my, my next thing yet. I'm still looking, but um, to have something like that where you can start every day with a, an attempt to find something funny mm -hmm. is a great way to establish a morning ritual because it's also when your brain is most adaptable to taking in new information. So if you can kind of set the tone of your day with some, something funny, my three go-to strategies every morning are movement, meditation, and mirth. So I'll work out, I'll meditate and then I'll find something funny and it's worked really well for me. The three M's. I like that. I know. Nice. Monkey, monkey, monkey. Monkey, monkey, monkey. What's funny is that starting each, starting each day here a couple of years ago, I had a really, really stressful year. And so I started each morning just uh, posting a joke on Facebook, just, you know, and what's funny is that mm. everybody oh. in my group is, oh, I, I love your joke a day, but they didn't really realize I wasn't really doing it for them. You know, I was doing yeah. it for, I was doing it for me that I needed to start each day with something, 
you know, something to make me laugh. And I would, and I would, I would must have spent like 45 minutes looking for the perfect joke in this, in joke books. And cause there's a lot of groaners and I like, I like smart humor wordplay. So if I could find something that fit that, mm-hmm. I would be like, that's it. <laughs> and I would laugh. And then I yeah. would. Yeah. You know what? That just funny. reminded me. I totally forgot about this, but I did set up a beyond funny 21 day challenge. It's free um, on my online learning center. So I can send you the link to that. Um, or people can go, I think it's uh, anyway. Yeah. We'll, we'll give them the information. Um, but essentially, so you sign up for this and it, every day it emails you a funny image and two funny video links that are just options. Um, the one word of caution I would like to tell people is that not everybody finds the same thing funny. So I'm not <laughs> responsible for any disturbing video, you know, like I collect videos, I do my best to screen them, but this was actually part of my humor Academy research project was doing this 21 day challenge with a group of entrepreneurs. And by the end of it, I mean, my, my data was basically like, you cannot mandate funny because, it was a global audience and what people found funny was so dramatically different that I just use this as a prompt. It's like, Hey, here's some ideas. And then I also try to get people into the community to share their ideas because the more of those we kind of collect and gather, obviously the better. And if people just, they don't want to do the the challenge, but they just want access to those video clips. You can go to beyond dash funny.com and there's a tab that says videos and you can just click that and it actually has the whole 21 days listed out. There's two per day. So you can check it out there too. I will check it out there. Check it out. Check it out. I will. And we'll make sure that I put it in the show notes so everybody else can check it out as well. Well, Dr. Hannah, I have really appreciated you spending a little time with me today. And I know that our listeners will get a lot of benefit from the things that you shared today, starting today with the three M's. I would just probably just do one of them because I'm lazy, but other people are a lot No more. comment from me. No <laughs> comment from me. <laughs> you do what you can. You put the information out there. So I know that you'd uh, given your website before, but if people want to find you um, after today, where should they go? What's the best place to find you? Definitely HeidiHanna.com. It's the easiest place. Um, also on Facebook and Twitter and all that great stuff. And certainly anybody that I can tell is connected with AATH, you know, reach out to me, connect with my personal Facebook page, whatever. You can also see the Beyond Funny page there. Um, that was more information than you asked for, but there you go. Well, pretty it was <laughs> pretty easy to track down. In case, you're, <laughs> in case you're a stalker, she's easy to find. Hey, well, thanks you a lot, my know. friend. <laughs> thanks a lot, my friends. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, cool. Chip. And yep. thanks, everyone. Yep. And this has been Laugh Box, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Uh, I am Chip Lutz, your host, and we are done. This is Laugh Box, <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laugh Box is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review Laugh Box on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.